How are you guys all doing? Uh, it's good to be here. I know um, a lot of you. I don't know a lot of you. So uh, welcome. Um, this class is on spiritual formation, as you know. And so today and next week, we're going to be focusing in on some of the basics of what it is, why it matters, um, and also get at the Holy Spirit and how that, uh, how that affects how we live and how it empowers uh, how we live. So as uh, some quick background, just in case, uh, just to give this context, there's a lot of ways to go about spiritual formation. It's its own discipline, which is sort of um, unfortunate because it intersects with all of uh, theology and philosophy. It's just all of Christianity, right? Uh, it's a really important subject, but it's kind of become its own thing. I'm a theologian by trade. I'm uh, my minors in history and philosophy, and that's kind of how I'm approaching it. I got into uh, spiritual formation late, but most of my work recently has been in it. So welcome, and let's jump into it. By the way, just as a side note, if you're a note taker, there's going to be like a lot uh, up here, so I don't expect you all to write it down. That would uh, give you some problems. This is just for the sake of where we're, uh, the situation. Um, I want get, to get you guys as much timely, I, and I want, it, want your visuals and your auditory to match, and so that's why I'm doing it this way. So why are we here? And I think the answer, I think we all know what we want out of life. We want to be happy. We want to be fulfilled, right? That's true. I mean, in Christianity, it's really about that. God's glory, our pleasure in God. And so spiritual formation, if you're coming here like I, 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 with this question, this is exactly right. But how do we get there is the harder, is the harder answer, isn't it? What does that look like? What does it mean for me? The answer is simple on one level, but then it's complex on another level. Live wisely in Christ. That's the good life. You ever notice that? Virtue leads to happiness, right? Or maybe the fruit of the Spirit, if you're more familiar with that. But what does this look like? The problem is that this runs, run, runs counter with the culture we're in right now, um, and even with our own nature. It runs counter. I'm going to start there. That, you know, read Genesis 3, the fall happened, Adam and Eve screwed it up, don't blame them, we did too. This is the human condition, right? And that we're naturally selfish creatures and we're naturally prone against the grain of loving God and loving neighbor. We're pretty good at loving self sometimes, right? It runs against our nature and that's the first sort of problem, but it also runs against our culture that we're in. I'm talking uh, Western culture at large here. I'm talking about the consumerism, the individualism. I mean, some of that, it's not all bad. I'm not saying that. But it forms you into be, to be a kind of human being that doesn't necessarily line up with Christianity, and it often doesn't. I think you've noticed this, right? Culture treats us like consumers, and we have this really radical individualism that runs counter to an organic unity of humanity that Christianity is assuming all throughout. And I have two choices. Are you an Adam or are you in Christ, right? There's an organic unity. So our culture at large is going to push against Christian spiritual formation. It's, it's usually, note that this is usually very implicit and you don't notice it, right? It's just 
we're sort of made to be kind of people. Go out on Black Friday, shop to death, right? Get, get everything you want. It's just really implicit. Commercials, you sort of notice that. Even when you're driving in tra traffic, it's forming you in a certain way, and we all kind of been there. Um, and that's what we're getting at. But even church, and I don't mean, you know, redemption. I'm talking about the church at large. In general, what my experience with Phoenician churches, West Coast churches, there's a certain thing that pushes against spiritual formation as well. Uh, what I note and what I often bring up to my students is the, the, the free grace culture in Phoenix, right? I'm saved by faith, so whatever, I do what I want. God's going to forgive me anyway. I run into a lot of that, I find. Maybe you haven't, but it's common here in this city, in other churches. And that sort of pushes against, well, holiness, correct living, good living, happy living, ironically. You know, the funny thing about happiness is few philosophers have studied it. And because we think it's obvious how to be happy, right? You just think it's obvious, but we all know intuitively it's really a hard thing. Christianity has the, an answer for us. We're going to, well, spiritual formation. <laughs> um, and then the second context, and this, I don't want to nerd out too much. I realize, like, right when I put this down, like, there's so much to say here. Let me, long story short, say what happened since the 1700s and really escalated in the 18 and 1900s, and we're sort of fixing today as evangelicals. I don't know if you identify this way, but briefly stated, this church is in that tradition to some extent, right? But Christianity split, and it split between people that call themselves moder uh, modernists. Uh, you sometimes hear the word liberal, but maybe that'll trigger you, right? I, we don't mean political liberal, just theologically liberal, right? But it split between modernists and fundamentalists. Modernists took with them spirituality, ethics, right living, I want to be a good human being and love Jesus. The fundamentalists took with them the doctrine. I care about truth. I care about doctrine. I want to have good thinking. I want to have good living. This happened a while back now, but it's still affecting us. And a lot of evangelicals are noting this, that, wow, we do, um, you know, doctrine well and thinking well, and, but we sort of threw into the crapper. Oh, I'm sorry, this is church. I don't know what you can say in here, right? We threw out uh, spirituality, spiritual life, uh, ethic, in place of truth. And, of course, these aren't mutually opposed. Historically, though, it's sort of happened that way. And so here we are. This is my point, And this is what we all intuitively know. We need sanctification, growing in holiness, right? Uh, that's what that word means. It can actually mean a lot of things in the New Testament. Theologically, it means, okay, now that I'm justified by faith, I, I'm good. God is counting me as holy in Christ. Now that that's true, I need to act like it. The Spirit's changing me from the inside out. That latter part is sanctification. Really important. Um, but, of course, that begs the question of how you do it well. Um, and this needs to be recovered, I think. We don't talk about this well as a culture, even the church today. And so recovering this in your own personal life is really important. The church can't do this for you, obviously. And this is something that uh, your own personal journey needs to incorporate. That's why we're here. Um, now, what does sanctification entail? Um, a lot of things. Now, we're not going to go through this slowly. 
because this would take forever, and I cut out most of it. But there's a lot in the Bible about sanctification, and most of it sounds intimidating and kind of mean, right? I mean, seriously. Uh, be holy, for I am holy. No pressure. <laughs> Just be like God. No, no problem at all. I never mess up. Do you? <laughs> right? I say, there's, there's a lot of different uh, references to this. I mean, there's a similar thing. Here's Jesus talking. Again, no pressure, right? There's a lot of this going throughout Scripture, and it's the idea of imitating God in Christ, as it turns out, right? You know, there's a lot of, uh, of references. Many of them talk about God cleansing us. Many of them talk about us needing to do something as well. And that's maybe the biggest confusion. A lot of salvation does sort of happen God is the primary initiator. There's no doubt about that. That's how justification works. I see you as holy, Ryan, not because of anything you did, because you're in Christ. All right, there's some passivity there in some sense, but now act like it, Ryan. That's sanctification, and that's the hard part. And uh, there's many more. We're not going to go over all of this. You see how tedious it would be? You can just open up your Bible and look it up. There's a lot of this. <laughs> This is the will of God, your sanctification. Yeah, it's pretty blunt. There's a lot of this. So moving on, this brings up a nice, hefty, don't write this down. Your hand will hurt. This comes from John Murray. It's a classic book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. It's a bit dated now, I suppose, but it's still a great definition. Uh, here's John speaking, defining theologically the idea of sanctification in the Bible and the Christian worldview. Indeed, the more sanctified, holy, the person is, the more conformed he is to the image of his Savior, the more he must recoil against every lack of conformity to the holiness of God. The deeper his apprehension of the majesty of God, oops, sorry about that, the greater the intensity of his love to God, the more persistent his yearning for the attainment of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ, the more conscience will he be of the gravity of the sin that remains, and the more poignant will be his detestation of it. Was this not the effect in all the people of God as they came into closer proximity to the revelation of God's holiness? Really a great description of it. Powerful, it's uh, intimidating, and this is what we're called to. Um, so now what, right? It sounds great. Like, we can talk about this all day. It, it, it sometimes feels easy when you talk about it, but you know that life is way more complex than that, right? So how, how does this work? Uh, the, the church's responses when I was growing up, here were the top three that I would read your Bible. Yeah. Just read your Bible. You'll stop sinning, right? Are you anxious? Just memorize this passage. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Yeah. It's a magic potion. It will make your anxiety go away, but it didn't work. You know what I'm talking about? Or pray. That was a big one. Just talk to God. I mean, don't get me wrong. This stuff works. But there's a way of doing it that's more involved and more impactful. But praying, talking to God, absolutely. The same way you talk to your spouse or your best friend, you should probably be talking to God that whole, all day long. Let's just say it that way. Pray without ceasing. And everyone's like, how does that work, right? Bring God into your thought life all the time. But how does that work? And this is another one I heard. <laughs> it's amazing how often I heard, just sinning, right? Just 
Just stop it. Just stop it. Um, now, I love this observation from Dallas Willard. Will, uh, excuse me, Willard. Uh, I'm going to recommend a book from him uh, a little bit later, maybe, maybe next week. We're not only saved by grace, we're paralyzed by it. Right? We, we hear the good news Sunday, maybe in our community groups. I'm free, I'm holy, I'm good. Now act like it. But we don't know what to do with it. We're almost like, what do I do next? I don't want to act like I'm buying my salvation, so I just won't do anything, right? Well, that doesn't work. How do you do this? And this is the question that we're going to be occupying ourselves. But first, I want to turn to Bob Newhart <laughs> for one, uh, well, kind of what not to do. I believe this is, this is ancient now. It's making me look older than I really am. But uh, Mad TV, I believe this is a skit. It's very funny and clean. Don't you worry. We're, Frank's, we're, we're good. All right.
Yeah, yeah, it's comedy, certainly. Oh. The more you know. So uh, that, that's a caricature of what sometimes goes on. It's sometimes hard to hear people's struggles, their sin issues, and, and really just listen without kind of just <laughs> giving easy answers. But the depth of the, really the brilliance of this video is on, on another level as well. And it's when she begins to explain why she keeps having all these problems, but I'm compelled to but I'm compelled to. And it's really easy to address uh, behavioral issues, right? It's really hard to address uh, dispositional uh, issues, things that, that sort of compel you. And you know what I'm talking about when you think about we all have our go-to issues, like our go-to sin issues. Like um, I, I, I'm always kind of, you know, wanting to be alone, or I'm always putting too much favor in people's opinions, or I'm all, you know where I'm going here, right? And we're compelled to, and it's not so easy as stop it. Change is hard. Paul's going to talk a lot, well, Jesus talks a lot about it, that us, our own fallenness, um, you know, we're being redeemed from within too, but Paul talks about the struggle within, and we are prone to love the wrong things, right? There's a great philosopher out there that has a whole book titled, You Are What You Love. How true, right? Um, and here's, here's Paul discussing this in Romans 7. There's a lot of interpretational issues in this chapter. It's a really great chapter. Scholars love to debate stuff. But you just listen to Paul, and it seems pretty plain that he's talking about a battle within. For I, do, uh, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. Do you feel the inner struggle? Read the whole chapter. He says it over and over again in different ways. Um, and what he's getting at, and this is a common theme throughout the Bible, that's, I think often misunderstood because we read it wrongly. But the battle between flesh on the one hand, spirit on the other. As a kid, when I heard flesh, I'm like, oh, my body's bad, right? Like, my body gives me urges. That's not what flesh is here. Um, what, what flesh is here, and like as a kid, I think it's understandable that you would think that way. Think of flesh as that which is turned against God. Think of it as your fallenness. Think of it as uh, Genesis 3. Think of it as, you know, evil evil within me. Spirit standing in for Jesus, for the good life, right? You're either in, or in Adam or you're in Christ, right? And that's the battle going on. Don't read into this and think that your body is the problem. It certainly isn't. Your soul gives you urges and your body falls through, follows through with them, if anything. And I wouldn't want to dichotomize like that. Um, so just stop it doesn't work is the point we're getting at. How do you change? How do you change what compels you? How do you be compelled to do the good? Do you admire somebody that just constantly in the face of X, Y, Z always seems to be doing the thing you wish you could do and they just do it naturally? It's a habit. You see that? That's where we're trying to go here, right? And it's hard. So this brings up spiritual formation. And we're going to talk about the spiritual disciplines um, for the second half of this, which is super practical, functional. This is stuff you do all the time. You, you maybe don't even know you do this stuff. 
right? If you're in Christ, you're probably doing this stuff. But thinking about it really well opens up whole new avenues of realizing, holy cow, that was God in me. Holy cow, that voice in my head that keeps like convicting me of sin, that's not my Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit. Oh, God's talking to me. Oh, cool. Right? It opens up all kinds of avenues, and that's maybe a heavy one, a heavy avenue right there. Um, now, spiritual formation, think of this, sanctification, like usually when people, I don't like using that word because it's just, mm, it's just some theological word, and no one knows how to do it, but spiritual formation, that explains exactly how this works, and it always has. This is just basic Christianity. Jesus did it on a daily, um, on a daily basis. So this is, this is actually a pretty good definition of spiritual formation, I was just kind of making up as I went. But spiritual formation's goal is to rewire you in conformity uh, to Christ, right? Long story short. So that's the first thing I want you guys to see. Second clause, it does this by creating an alternate rhythm or liturgy. That's a loaded word. I'll explain that. Thanks to spiritual rhythm. A way of doing life a way of living and framing life different for, for you on a daily basis. That's what a liturgy is, in accordance with the gospel. Not our culture's liturgy. It has one, by the way. You can feel it. The grind, we sometimes call it, right? Every, there's, there's a lot. Like, walk into a mall and you feel a liturgy. There's a whole thing. It brings back memories and happiness. But then also, all kinds of stuff comes out, uh, you know, greed and lust and pride and suddenly it's all about you so this is going to create an alternate rhythm or life liturgy which shapes you into the proper human pa pattern found in christ that is the image of god that's what we're supposed to be uh, we're created in the image of god god comes again and does it the right way we call it we call his name jesus Right? It's kind of a play on words. The Bible loves to do this all the time. Paul, they, they, they know what they're doing. It's very intentional. It's like, oh, you said Christ is the image of God, but he's God. He's both, and that's the beauty of it. And now, looking at Christ, we can be like him through the power of his spirit in us. Yeah? So here's just a side note for a second, but I just want, it to, want us to, to let it hit us for a second. Stanley Hauerwas is one of the leading... Um, I guess he's, he's just, let's just call him a theologian in the country right now, really brilliant. Um, and he recently did an interview, I don't know where, you can Google it though, where he argued that Americans no longer have the context to develop the virtues. He's talking about the Christian virtues, obviously, yeah. And that should sort of hit you. We're so busy, you can't hear anything, right, except yourself. We're so distracted. We're so prone towards false loves. It's hard to find space to do this well. And that's why we're here right now. That's why we have to intentionally set this aside. I don't know if he said this uh, in the interview, and it maybe is kind of common sense, but uh, talk about, talking about the church, going to church once a week and community group once a week, that's not enough to undo what's being done to us. You ever heard the studies about uh, sitting down 40 hours a week at work and how you, you can't actually exercise enough to completely undo it? 
this is the same idea. The studies are pretty clear on this, and it should cause some concern. This is why we're here, but more importantly, like you're not going to get, if, I just, if you're just coming to this and you just go home and you think about it once in a while, that's great, that's great, don't get me wrong. But this takes intentional, personal, you know, this takes you incorporating this in your life, however that looks. The great thing about Christianity is not everybody looks the same, you know what I mean, and that's a good thing. Me doing a courageous thing is not the same as what, like, a Navy SEAL doing a courageous thing. You know what I mean? You know? Um, so do this for you and incorporate what we're talking about in here. Bring it home with you. It will change your life. So this gets us into some definitions. Um, I use a couple people here. Um, well, I'll give you the first one. A definition of what spiritual formation is. I... Gave you a brief one if you're here on Sunday. Here's a, here's a better, more full one from the late Dallas Willard. Spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, also rendered soul, spirit, will. There's a lot of just the center, the center of being human. It is being formed, really transformed in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ, right? It's not being a good person and, like, you know, behavioral uh, correction or something. It might start there. But this is becoming the kind of person that naturally and intuitively just does Jesus, right? I get it. The point is not WWJD. We all know this, right? The point is what he did, kind of and also how we respond to that, right? And that's kind of where we're getting at, that second part, that's spiritual formation. Here's a definition, I'd highly recommend this book if you have no idea about spiritual formation, um, which is totally understandable, it's not really talked about, is it? And that's okay. Um, this is a book by Evan Howard, he's a friend of mine. I think it'll be the standard, it's brand new, just came out in 2018. A Guide to Christian Spiritual Formation, I read the first half, really good, and he knows his stuff. Really interesting per person. If you ever imagine what a monk you think might look like in your head, that's what Ev Evan's just a very funny uh, monkish fellow. Um, <laughs> if you ever met him, you'll see it immediately and go, oh my goodness, the kindest person, like the second kindest person I've ever met. He's very optimistic. <laughs> um, so uh, buy this book. It's very good. I was talking to him about like this course and how it, there, there's just there's not that many great short videos on this that you can just kind of watch and kind of get information downloaded. He was like, "I'll do them for you." <laughs> so I'm like, "He's gonna we'll probably watch a couple of these as the weeks go on." Um, anyway, so think of Paul's Paul's famous expression. Paul often uses this expression. It should give you pause. It's a weird way to talk. Paul was kind of weird, right? So was Jesus. It's okay. Um, it is no longer I who live. You know, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, fallenness, the world, the culture turned against us. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me right? That's what we're getting at. This is the life meant to be lived. It's a hard life, and it's the good life, right? And you know it 
if you're on this journey. You just do. Um, so I want to just make this more simple. What spiritual formation in a nutshell? I have a screen right here. There it is. It's becoming what you are in Christ. That's the basics. Jesus declares you to be holy. Now act like it. The same spirit bonding you to Christ. So the father looks at you and says, you're holy because I'm seeing Jesus. The same spirit in you bonding you to Jesus is the same spirit inwardly transforming you. Right? So you're like, yeah, no pressure. It's a lot of intimacy. Well, the spirit's in there. The spirit's doing it with you. That should be, you know, this the God who created the world is recreating you from the inside out. I don't know if you get any more positive and encouraging than that, right? Um, and this is Paul's fundamental argument in Ephesians. I just mentioned this because we just went over Ephesians. It's, you know, basically there's two halves to Ephesians. The first three chapters, what are you in Christ? Who God thinks of you in Christ? The second half of the book has become that. Become what you are. Right? It's come, Paul's doing this all the time. It's a normal way to talk in that culture. It comes, a Greek philosopher came up with it, and Paul's having fun with it. How does spiritual formation work? I just mentioned this, but I'll just let you read this as well. The same Holy Spirit, in, oh man, I just quoted that. <laughs> the same Holy Spirit in you who bonds you to Christ so that you are declared to be righteous in him by the Father, justification, is the same Holy Spirit who is working in you to conform you to the pattern of God and Christ. So I often hear Christians like to split this up. My when I say that, I'm not being, I'm talking about my students. You know, that's like what I'm engaging with, master's students, mostly undergraduate students. And they're like, okay, I'm justified. And now there's this, like, it's like this whole separate thing and I better deal with it. And you're, you're missing it. There's two sides to one coin. And it naturally happens. And if you've been in this faith journey long enough, you feel that. And so think of it this way. This is going to be the second half of class, long story short. By the way, can somebody just cut me off at 7.30, and then I'm going to take questions then. I don't want to go over time, and I thought there was a, a clock, so I don't want to have my phone out. It forms you. Have you ever felt that, how technology forms you? I wonder what Jesus would have to say to that. I honestly wonder. <laughs> You know. So the spiritual disciplines, fasting, submission, contemplation, there's a lot of these. I'm choosing them randomly here. Are tangible ways to both experience God's power and correlately your own neediness. The more you experience one, the more you experience the other. And it's not starting with one or anything. You ever notice that? The more you realize your own brokenness, the more you get God's holiness. The more you get your finitude the more you see God's aseity, right? It's pretty cool. <laughs> and that's what we're getting at. The spiritual disciplines are tangible ways to force you to experience it. We don't want to. We push back on it. When you get lonely, when I get lonely, you pick out the phone, what's going on? I want to know what's going on, right? Or you call up a friend. You kind of want to make the sound, make the sound of the Holy Spirit and just go away. I don't want to feel loneliness. Well, there's something good to be learned in loneliness isn't there? And this is going to be ways, and that's just picking one thing. I didn't even choose one there. Take away food for a little bit. You'll realize you worship it. I do. My whole life is orientated around it. Meals, I bet yours are too. The monks got this. Spiritual formation gurus got this. Jesus got this. 
It's like it's almost inevitable. You have to eat. And food is good. Enjoy it, please. And yet, we incessantly, we almost naturally just gear our lives around it. So push back on it. That's the spiritual formation of fasting. So to finish this, uh, these spiritual disciplines are tangible ways to experience God's power and our own neediness, thus molding you into the pattern after Jesus, molding your thoughts, your habits, your emotions to conform to who you really are. And then you become the kind of person that naturally sort of does all that. There's really no trick to this. It's just sort of go out and do it. Kind of just saying the obvious so far, right? So this is rewiring you. We're all wired in a certain way, and we think that's natural, and to some extent it is, but some of that is our fallenness. And some of us, some of us, like parts, need to be rewired to Jesus, right? Okay, so this is hard, all right? If it ever feels like it hurts, you're doing it right. Now, that's not a universal principle, but here's the thing. You all exercise, many of us, right? If you're not sore afterwards, you didn't do anything. <laughs> and it's sort of like that here. They're designed to run counter to our fallen nature and along our new nature, all right? So now, this is going to be, I'm going to give us some examples because I don't want you guys walking away this first day like, this is all intangible and theological. Good for you, professor, but this is pointless. I want us to see that this is real, and, it, and you can even think about it now. So let's jump right into it. Reject autonomy. I'm my own individual. I'm the center of the universe. I'm God. Right? You don't say that, but we act like it. That's Adam, Eve, in the garden. Right? That's us, our fallenness. Reject autonomy and power whew, and embrace dependence and submission. You know, there's a sense in which just do it, right? I don't mean the Nike sense, but it starts with you just doing it, right? What does this look like? There's all kinds of things you might be able to think of here. Um, see yourself as not the point. When somebody asks you for a favor, do it without question. See other people as more important than you. Just do it. Over time, suddenly, you're going to see yourself as doing it naturally, and suddenly you're happier, you're living better, and it makes sense. Simple, I know. It's going to be way more. I'm going to throw a wrench in this later, of course, as well. But notice that this is hard. We like power. We like autonomy. How does this work at work, at our jobs, right? How about, oh, here's John Milton. He really nails it here. Uh, what, what is this? Paradise Lost. Yes. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. That's the human condition, right? What I like to tell my students is if you don't like serving, if you want to be first, you're not going to fit in. You're not going to want to be there. In heaven, I know we like to translate it servants. In heavens, we're slaves to Jesus with utter happiness, right? We're not in charge, though. It's not my will. So another uh, spiritual discipline, I know this stuff is heavy, by the way, and uh, whenever I talk, I, I need to probably say this, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to me, and this is all the stuff I discovered, and I hope it's helpful, right? So whenever I'm bringing up, up all this stuff, see this as, just as, this is stuff that I figured out that I think is super useful for me. Reject worldly contentment once in a while, or a lot, and embrace neediness. It's really easy to remain content is a good thing. I'm talking about 
belly's always full. If your belly's always full, if you know where your next meal is coming from, you probably don't know your dependence very well. You don't know your finitude really well. You don't know what death really means, and it's right at the door. This is why we do it. This is why Jesus did it. Guys, Jesus fasting is the ultimate irony. God is feeling dependence. If he does it. Yeah. So that's really, it's hard, really useful. Poverty, that sounds really extreme and all that. Let me just say this. There's Christians that go out and beg on the streets for a while. You might think they're homeless. They're not. All right? They're there for a reason, to experience who they are in Christ. That just blows some people's minds. Maybe some of you kind of knew this. There's one time that Laura was giving out, like, thingies to home, or well, homeless. Remember when I got mad at you? <laughs> I was like, don't give it to yeah. and, and, and then I realized there's no way to save face here, and I didn't want to explain the history of it, but I knew the guy was a monk. Uh, I, I, I could see. And so I just like, no, make him suffer. He wants to. Like, that's the whole point. <laughs> you know? And so uh, this, is, this is going on in our city, I can tell you that. Right? This just sounds weird to you. Um, look at the face of Christ. <laughs> When you die and you're like, oh, wow, you look raggedy. Reject the comfort of people. Ooh, this is a hard one. And or busyness, wherever you're at, introverts included. Busyness, we love it. Embrace solitude and prayer. I don't know where you're at here. And if solitude comes easy to you, congratulations, you're probably an introvert. You probably don't learn much from it, though. Solitude is hard for you. Do it, you know, what was, as the great theologian dude from Transformers said, just do it. Oh, wow, my students think that's hilarious. Do you guys not know the reference? <laughs> Some of you are laughing. It's the younger ones. Not relevant. Sorry. <laughs> so reject the comfort of people. It feels good, but when you're drowned out, when you're numbed by Comfort from others, comfort from doing things. I love doing things. You should love doing things. We're commanded to do things. That's called work. Heaven's that restored without pain and suffering and misery. That's heaven. So that's, these aren't bad things. All these things, in fact, are really, really good things, and that's the whole point. Food's really good. In fact, food is about as good as a thing, second, I would, second best thing we have in this created world pointing us to God. It's meant to be that way. Every time you have a delicious burger, you're thinking about the new heavens and the new earth wedding banquet. I'm being, it's serious. It's meant to drive you to Jesus. So if you enjoy food, awesome. Rewire yourself to bring God in on that and just be thinking about it the whole time. It's, it's really good, right? Food is good. We can bring up sex. That's supposed to symbolize union with God. These are good things. Take them away for a while and you'll realize how you worship these things instead of God. Your lives are orientated around it. Put aside busyness for a while. Embrace prayer. Oh, no, I'm just too busy. You don't get it. Mm, I do. Uh, I don't get everyone's situation, obviously. We're all busy. We're so busy that we need to just stop being busy sometimes and just sit there and do nothing, and you're going to hear voices in your head. Guess what? It's the Holy Spirit convicting you or encouraging you or whatever. I mean, what else is that? Jiminy Cricket? Right, this is, I'm just kind of explaining. 
basic Christianity. I don't want to dumb down. I don't want to, you know, beat any dead horses here. But reject worldly isolation. Um, if you're prone to that, reject selfishness. Embrace celebration and contemplation. Here's just three basic spiritual, well, sorry, four, five, six, who knows, I'm kind of doubling up on a bunch of them, that are ways of tangibly experiencing who you really are in Christ. What's really going on, culture is going to tell you otherwise, your fallenness is going to tell you otherwise, but this is what's really going on. Um, yeah, celebration is a spiritual discipline biblically. It's all over the place, but it's built into, think the Old Testament, Israel, it's built into their schedule. They got way more holidays than we did for a reason. And the whole point of these, like Yahweh keeps, you know, telling, God, God Yahweh keeps telling them, like, hey, um, this is all about me. It's all the sign of the new heavens, new earth. That's what you're made for, right? Then Yahweh becomes human. We call him Jesus. And he's doing these very things as well. Contemplation is a fun one. And that's just... Well, we've all seen it. You guys ever seen anybody do the, what I like to call the creepy stare? <laughs> you know, like you see something beautiful or just, you know what I mean? And you just kind of stare at the Grand Canyon. We don't want to get creepy in here, but first time I looked at my wife. You know what I mean? Just the creepy stare. That's contemplation uh, directed towards God. When you realize something, when you realize how God good is, and you're just like, when you realize all created things are just signs of him, and that's the whole point, you're supposed to enjoy him. That's the great thing about Christianity, and not like Stoicism, for example, a major alternative worldview Paul was dealing with favorably at times. He quoted them sometimes, in him we live and move and have our being. But see, the Stoics didn't have fun with things like we do. Embrace contemplation. Embrace celebration. So why do I care? I, I guess it's probably somewhat obvious by now, but just in case. We think discipline's necessary in all other areas of life. We get fired otherwise, right? You've got to be disciplined at work. You've got to be disciplined at home. You don't want to want an angry spouse at you, right? You've got to work at these things, but we get to God, and it's just like, let go and let God, Right? And there's something true about that, actually. There really is, but too much of that is pretty silly. We do this everywhere, right? Body, that's probably the, that's the analogy that us spiritual formation weirdos like to use. You feel the burn, not for the sake of the burn, because you know that's how your body gets built up. You guys go through a hard time? I know many of you have. Have you ever noticed? That's when you mature the quickest. There's a reason for it. By the way, I'm not saying uh, create suffering in your life in order to grow quicker. That's not what we're saying in here. Um, so why not have the same care, of course? Why not have the same care towards your soul? We wait till it's too late sometimes. Oh, man, my relationship with Jesus is struggling. Um, you know, we wait. Uh, it's the same thing maybe with our bodies. But generally speaking, I find that... Inattention, sloth, whatever you want to call it, in any one of these areas is not noticed until the problems really arise and you're forced to deal with it. So be proactive. That's why you run once in a while or with weights. I don't know it. Uh, you know, uh, that's why you work on your marriage and you keep talking even when it's hard. Um, this is what we do. So 
This leads us, oh, this is such good timing, y'all. I'm literally going to finish where I thought I would. Fantastic. All right, so the basics of it. And then we're going to move on, by the way, next week to the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be theological, and then I'm going to just interject and make it, make it totally tangible. Because I find that when I tell my students that little voice in your head convicting you is the Holy Spirit, sometimes they get surprised, right? He's like, no, that's my conscience. Oh, you think you're the, oh, you think you're good. Oh, oh, wait, no, I guess you're right, right? You can hear God talk. You can. You know it. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, I, I hear this a lot, but the idea, if you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. I like it. There's some truth to that, but, but there's more to it than that. You, do you believe God's personal? Yes, he can talk to you. Maybe it won't be an authority for your friend, but it's an authority for you, and you know it. You know you need to dig this sin issue out. So the basis of it, this is all triune, and Frank, Frank and I were talking, I think eventually we'll do like Trinity stuff. I'll, I can explain the Trinity, and we can go over that. Can't really get into all the, 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 the fun stuff in here. We don't have the time. But biblically speaking, whenever it's talking about the good life, genuine living, uh, ah, the flourishing human being, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Really, the translation here from one of my favorite New Testament scholars, flourishing are. The right way of living is being poor, and it's supposed to land on you. Why? We'll talk about that next week. I'll just let that sit. But with Jesus talking about himself, comparing himself to the vine and us branches who only get our sustenance and living and growth in the vine, remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit apart from me and you can do nothing. Right? We have, this is Christ-centered, the Son. This is Holy Spirit-driven. Elsewhere, Paul's speaking. Because of the love of God, he, there's a sort of an ongoing argument here. I'm just... Uh, being brief, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How does change happen? We're going to see this over and over again. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit all about? Gluing you to Jesus. So now you have his identity, right? Think of spirit as glue. Think of the son as the mediator. Think of the father looking upon the son. And there's you, all right, so the basis of spiritual formation is really the, the, the basis of all things, and I'm going to draw this out next week, is the spirit who, oh, I just said this, who unites us to the Son, who mediates us to the Father. That's the whole idea behind it. This is Trinity. This is unlike every other view, right? In Christianity, we become partakers of the divine nature. It's in the Bible, that sounds weird. Well, you think you're holy, right? No one's holy but God alone. You get that? In, because we're in the Son, the Son is God, we're in God, and we're participants in God's nature. We're not going to become infinite or anything like that, but we're going to get some of the goodness of God through that. All right? And that's, I think, what, that's not, it's pretty clearly what Peter means when he says that we're participants in the divine nature. He starts naming off all these Qualities that only God has and applies, uh, applies them to us. 
and that's only true in Christ. You can't just get this, of course, from working your way up. But there is work involved in Christianity. We all know it. That, that spiritual formation. All right, so this is a good time. Oh, there's a clock. There is a clock. I totally misspoke. Oh, you turned... Oh, okay. I, thought, I remember thinking there was something there. Not that I'm checking it a lot during Frank's sermons. Uh, the common student habit. All right, so we're going to talk about this next week. We're going to get into the Holy Spirit and how that's the power behind all this, and that should be really encouraging. Um, so quick introduction to me. You just kind of got it. I'm super intense, and I try to be provocative to wake you. Well, I have to do this with my students, right? To wake you up and to make you see something you maybe didn't before. So I hope you had fun. Are there any questions you guys are having? <laughs>